Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We'd all love to hit skip on our problems now and again, but using weed to deal with stress as a teen won't make your issues go away. Learn more at mindovermarijuana.com. That's mindovermarijuana.com. Sponsored by the California Department of Public Health. My name is Travis Bean. My name is Chris Lambert. And welcome to Film Colossus, your guide to movies. Oh, I love, this is a, a lovely feeling. I love the the diary episodes where we just talk about the movies we watch. This is where I feel comfortable. Yeah, we just get to dive into a ton of movies and give a lot of uh, intense thoughts, sometimes mm-hmm. funny, sometimes charming, sometimes infuriating. Uh, mostly the, that last word you said. <laughs> what? People don't respect people having other opinions? Not, not in my experience anyway. Maybe you would have a probably easier time with that. Me? No, it's constantly contentious. Yeah. No, nah, the movies that I feel like intense about in a negative way tend to make a lot of people mad. I have a feeling we both watched a movie these past two weeks that a lot of people love that you and I both didn't really care for. I don't, you don't know even what know that's... Which, yeah, you don't even know which movie oh. I'm talking about. Wait, maybe I do. Okay. Maybe you do. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll get to we'll it. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So we're going to go through the movies that we watched the last couple of weeks. I have six of them. How many do you have? Uh, okay. Technically, full movies, I have 11. Um, but there's one movie I've watched most of because my wife and I were watching it last night um, that I've seen before. So like, I know how it ends and everything. So I, I, okay. I've kind of watched 12 movies. <laughs> Okay, you had me going there in the first half. It's <laughs> just like, well, how are you going to include that one? <laughs> but you've seen it before. Okay, well, yeah. what was the best of the lot? Well, I'm not going to talk about Knock at the Cabin because we talked about that one ad nauseum already. That was my number one movie over the past two okay. weeks. Uh, but other than that, my number one movie was, and I know this is really going to be hard for you to believe, Chris, Magic Mike's Last Dance. No, come on. What? Soderbergh, baby. I love me some Soderbergh. You really do. Man, I just, like, stepping outside of this movie for, well, I guess it's, it, what I'm about to say does include this movie's aesthetic and everything, but I really love the energy captured by Soderbergh in his movies. There's this, um, there's almost like a relaxedness to his movies where we're kind of just fumbling along with characters as they get stuck in these bizarre situations like his movies to me are almost cartoonish in that sense where like 
the people we're following are just like they're normal but then they get roped into something like really bizarre and insane and we're watching them go through the motions of something so spectacular yet it's presented in a very like matter-of-fact way um i just find that like that whole approach so intoxicating and indigestible and easy to watch like and he always has such good actors in his movies like the formula just works really well so even when his movies like aren't as good like i didn't like no sudden moves that much like still like it's very watchable and like all the people in the movie are doing good work so i'm always way on board for a soderbergh movie how do you feel about haywire i actually haven't seen haywire i've always been interested though i remember seeing that one in theaters and being like what the hell am i watching like what <laughs> that's well the the woman um in haywire is it like Gina Carino? What? Oh, I'm like Carano. Carano, yeah. Um, like she's not really an actor. W- was that part of what made it bizarre? I a little bit. It was more like the use of music. There were times <laughs> where like the musical choice to like a chase scene or something. I I remember distinctly at one point looking around the theater, wanting to make <laughs> eye contact with somebody <laughs> who is also just like, yeah, I don't know what's going on either. What if I was in that movie theater and we made eye contact and you didn't even realize it? That would have been impressive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love that. Just going into a movie, I know I'm going to get that. So like I'm on board. But this movie in particular, I, I'm a big fan of this franchise. I really, really like the first movie. But the second movie, Magic Mike XXL, it has been well documented at this point. It's one of my absolute favorite movies, like a top 10 movie for me. Um, uh, one thing I really love about this franchise is its ability to capture just like the joy of life. It's, you know, Chris, you've heard me complain about this so many times. Like I'm so, so sick of movies just being like so grim and dour. Like every movie is just about like the pains of life and everything wrong with the world. Like, and and that's okay to do, I think in a movie, like inherently that, explores all these facets of life and it, it, it's a beautiful use of the medium but i think as a result a lot of movies ends up being end up just being really cynical um in a way that's like not very interesting to me and kind of ignoring all of like the nice parts of life <laughs> um and then on the other end like when a movie does it a little bit too much and is a little overly sentimental it's annoying and feels just like not actually reflective of reality that's why i love the magic mike movies because they find an amazing balance and they're overtly optimistic movies. Like they're movies about people overcoming very simple problems, like people who aren't just, who aren't facing like a nadir in life or anything. They aren't confronted by something overwhelming and unbelievable. They're just stuck in these very real situations and they need a little help to make a pivot in their life to just reorient themselves a little bit. And each of these movies has done that, especially Magic Mike XXL. Like the community of all of these, um, as they call themselves, male entertainers coming together and finding the beautiful art of like self expression through dance and using it to like find their voice and find their place in the world and like make that pivot that they need to put themselves on a better path. Like, it's just incredible how these movies do that. And Magic Mike's Last Dance just continues that. It's, it's, we 
meet up with Mike again, like his business ventures have failed. And he's like at this moment in life where he needs that pivot. And he comes across Selma Hayek, who is also in the exact same state. Like she has a miserable marriage. She wants to move on from it. She wants something new and something to invigorate her. And they both give that to each other. And they do it through putting together this show. It's like the movie just becomes a giant exploration of that as they put together the show. And then ultimately the show at the end, just like all the other movies, becomes this beautiful energetic display of like what they've accomplished and the catharsis they've reached together. Did it make you cry? It made me cry so many times, Chris. <laughs> like I, I, it's embarrassing. I'm just going to admit like, embarrassing shit in this episode because I love Magic Mike movies so much. But there was a moment in Magic Mike's last dance where um, they're putting on a show at the end. And gosh, sh- should I go into this? I, I feel like I'm going down a, a big rabbit hole here. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you're the you're the only one that can tell us. Go okay. for it. So there's a scene earlier in the movie where uh, Mike is putting together this show where these guys who are just more of traditional dancers um, are now learning how to be strippers. And so they're putting on this show where they're going to bring women on stage and they're going to do a lap dance. And so this one guy is trying out how you do a lap dance with somebody. And he gets on the woman, you know, he rubs his face in her breast. He like, he's like all over her, like jumping around. Um, and Mike was like, Hey man, that was really good. He's like, but, uh, you have to like, you have to get in there a little more. Like you need to play with the idea of like permission and like this woman's permitting you, uh, to be on her and like to give her pleasure and everything. So he shows this guy how to do it. And he, it, it, I gotta say, it's just incredible. Like, uh, say what you want about like a movie that's about dudes, stri- you know, uh, giving women lap dances, but like watching Channing Tatum do what he does is like it's pure, <laughs> it's pure art. Like this dude is just so good at it; it's like amazing to watch. Um, and then, so he shows him how to do it, and everybody in the crowd is like, "Oh shit, yeah!" Like that's how you do it. So later in the movie, when it's finally time for this dance to happen. Um, three of the guys bring up these much older women on the stage. Um, so like, you know, women who are like over the age of 50, maybe 60 are on stage. And they're just like giggling with delight as these three guys give them the lap dance that Channing Tatum showed them how to do earlier. And all three of them are fucking killing it. Like they're doing such an incredible job with it. Like they seem like Channing Tatum now that they have that energy and it, brought me to tears (laughs) it was just such an amazing moment like such a such a beautiful climax of like what they were trying to build with that show that Channing Tatum had had taught these people how to bring pleasure to these women like how to how to find joy through the art of dance it's just like moments like that happened over and over in the movie that kept making me cry sounds lovely (laughs) it's uh I'm I'm excited to see it I'll probably try and see it this weekend though i haven't watched any of the other magic mics so i need to do all of that too i i mean you definitely don't need to watch them for like like you're not going to be able to not make sense of the story um but it is emotionally satisfying to watch all three yeah that that makes sense i was a big fan of the step up movies (laughs) i don't know if they're anything alike but just like channing tatum dancing Uh, movies other than channing tatum's boyish charm uh there's not much to like about them (laughs) he is charming isn't he (laughs) i i love channing tatum like to me he is i don't know if this moniker is used for him very much but to me he's a modern james dean like 
he's very watchable and very entertaining, but he also like, at least early on in his career, he had that kind of rebellious nature. Um, but now I just kind of think of him as like a really good actor. Like he's like a, such a perfect movie star, like in quotes as we call them. Like he's not necessarily like a thespian. Like he's not like somebody who's going to do an accent and like embody this other person, but he's just like, he's so good at being himself. It It's, it's incredible to watch him. Yeah. I just like, I always come away very, we just used the word charm, but charmed from things I watch from like the first step up movie to even the like 21, 22 jump streets, mm. like the lost city recently, like everything I've ever watched him in. He's typically like the best part. Yeah. Love him. Uh, so where did last dance end up ranking for you for like 2023 in the year or in all time? Uh, so for all time rankings, I'm of the 329 movies and of movies I've watched since the beginning of 2022. So Magic Mike's Last Dance is up at 72. Okay. Where's it? Where's XXL? XXL <laughs> is number four. Okay. So a little <laughs> bit of a gap between those two. Magic Mike XXL is above Lawrence of Arabia. So like that's <laughs> if that paints a picture of me properly. <laughs> um, for 2023 it would be number two because knock at the cabin would be number one okay that makes sense yeah um, what do you got for me chris so uh, of the six movies i watched the one that i ended up ranking the highest in my all-time ranking was midsummer oh man uh, i've never seen it oh i didn't realize you'd never watched it i'd be really curious <laughs> Because it's on that edge of what you were talking about between like the cynicism and the beauty. Like, I Mm -hmm. think they're, I could see you either being like completely blown away by some of the choices it makes, especially near the end, um, or just turned off by like cynicism aspects. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it was my first time watching it since theaters and in theaters, I liked it all right, but I didn't think it was like mind blowing the way that I thought Hereditary was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But I rewatched Hereditary recently, like third time, and still enjoyed it. But rewatching Midsummer and having like a deeper understanding of Hereditary and now writing about Midsummer, I've come to appreciate some of the nuance in the movie a lot more, and the conversation each of those movies is having. hereditary is very much about grief and ends up as hyperbole exaggeration a defamiliarization of what happens when grief wins when Mm -hmm. it consumes you takes over and all of that is really displayed in the like possession and demonic stuff and the tragedy that strikes this family but that could be told in a very grounded realistic way midsummer is the other side of the coin where you recover from grief Hmm. and what does that recovery from grief entail and again it's defamiliarized like going to a cult in sweden uh and having your like friends murdered is not like the path to get over grief but there's something defamiliarized in the fact that like the friends in this case were pretty toxic. They were part of a package of Danny's uh, toxic relationship with Christian. They were Christian's friends. And they put up with Danny. They didn't offer her support in the wake of the tragedy that she has at the beginning of the movie. So 
there's this idea that in being at this cult, this commune for this midsummer ceremony, she's actually it's experiencing what a support system looks like now that she no longer has a family all that she has is this toxic relationship that she starts to discover through this cult the idea of support and family and what it means to like be held and seen and have somebody like be in your emotions with you Hmm. honestly there's a scene that just like kind of moves me to tears when i think about it it's such a bizarre scene because danny's having a panic attack and the women from the commune come and like collapse on the ground with her and start breathing in unison with her and when she cries they cry when she screams they scream and it can be very jarring i think to somebody that's just like what the hell is going on Mm. but when you start to realize that it's because she won the may queen she's now like part of the family and that this is the way they support their family that's in pain there's such like power and beauty and catharsis by the end of the movie that i was pretty like into it the second time nice um it is funny though because it is just like a defamiliarized like breakup story in a way too like bringing danny to a point where she finds catharsis in her grief and breaks up with christian and what does that look like? So the movie feels a lot bigger than what it is and a lot weirder than what it is, but it's a lot of window dressing uh, and defamiliarization of a very basic story. So a lot of the stuff that people are like, what's going on? Why is that? It's just like, it's a weird cult. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, but there's not the the supernatural elements. There's not anything like, I at least don't think all that deeper like you could maybe start to make a case about like America and technology, but I don't think the movie really goes down that road. At interesting. All, so. It's interesting. Yeah. You're kind of painting it as simple at its heart, like what it's about. Yeah. Uh, well, we, you and I both know that because we've done our research of all the movies searched for to be explained, Midsummer's in here at the top, right? Yeah, very much. What What is that then? What is it that seems so confusing to people? It's the cult rituals. So I think also like hereditary. So many people saw hereditary and the supernatural aspects of that were very real. Like we're supposed to take those seriously. It's not like, is there a demon? No, there's, there's demons. Mm. So I think when there are aspects of, uh, midsummer that get like kind of trippy, like, they sacrifice this guy in a weird in something called like a blood eagle way where the lungs are pulled out from the back and made to look like wings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time where the main characters are drugged. So all the flowers that are on this table are kind of like pulsing and breathing, but it's not a first person perspective. It's like a subjective third because our perspective characters are drugged. We're seeing some of the like trippy things that they're seeing. But there would be people that are just like, why is that happening? Is there this supernatural element since everything's moving and breathing? There's a conspiracy theory that one of the guys might have been responsible for the death of the main character's family, which is just like one of those conspiracy theories that people really overextend. Yeah, sure. Um, So, I mean, there are kind of, there's a ceremony, like some ceremonies that aren't necessarily explained it's more of just like that's weird is there anything going on 
more so than there's actually something going on. It's yeah. just like, no, that's weird, but that's like a cult that's cut off from the rest of the world. That all makes sense. Like the idea of people having theories about this movie, like it must just inspire some sort of cultish following because people seem obsessed with it. Like there's a Reddit page for Midsummer. <laughs> like there's not even a Reddit page probably for the Godfather or something, you know, like people are obsessed yeah. with it. And I, I have friends who dressed up as characters from the movies once, like from the movie. I, I, it's just funny that it inspired that in people. And I think that it's one of those movies that because it's defamiliarized, people don't understand quite why they resonate with it so sure. much. But it is such a familiar story in terms of being in a bad relationship and getting out of it that I think there's a connection people feel without even realizing that they're like what it is, why it is. So the movie has legs in a way that I think others can feel a bit more forgotten. Mm. Yeah, the when you describe it, it definitely sounds more appealing to me than what Hereditary does. Um, because I watched it last year, and of the 329 movies on my list, it ranks at <laughs> 329. Wow. <laughs> I uh, I was very I was very shaken by the because it, it, it's a movie about like grief and everything, like you said. It's something like. I think anybody can inherently connect to, but I think for me, you know, when you're describing the the women crying with each other in Midsummer, like to me that has more sympathy and compassion than anything I saw in Hereditary, which to me just felt very one note in its kind of ugliness and torture of the characters. Like I had a hard time finding like any sort of nuance or beauty in the struggle with grief and everything. Yeah, I think the movie wanted to take that like very cynical approach of like this yeah. is what grief can be. For sure. And when it's that singular and that like ugly of a thing to be detailing, that can that can be a huge turnoff. Yeah. So I I guess I get why it works for people, but it's my kryptonite. You've seen I know I've asked you this before. We've talked about this before, <laughs> but Melancholia? Uh yeah, love Melancholia. I could see hereditary and melancholia kind of being like similar. It's just mm. melancholia is a much better movie. Yeah. That's it. To me, it's just more of like a case of style there. Like obviously yeah. they're both grim movies. <laughs> melancholia, like the world's ending. Um, it's just maybe the way Lars von Trier navigates his characters and presents them. It's just a completely different energy. Yeah. But I think of the movies like, kind of like uh hereditaries the like charmander and <laughs> for sure melancholia is the charizard right uh yeah but uh midsummer for me came in at number 19 for my all-time rankings and how many movies you got 87 all right so it's at the what category is it in i have it at the top of the really good category nice so just below impressive, amazing, and colossal. Very, very good. At Merowest Credit Union, we're working towards a brighter financial future for both our members and our community, knowing that when you succeed, we all succeed. That starts with a solid financial foundation. As a credit union, we have no stockholders demanding profits. Our commitment is to our members. Experience the difference with our Money Market Max Bonus Promotion, offering a cash incentive for letting us protect and grow your money. Merrill West Credit Union, working for you. Today, tomorrow, together. 
Merowest Credit Union is insured by NCUA. All right. Now we get to talk about our worst movie? Yeah. What was the one that you ranked the lowest? Um, The one I actually ranked the lowest I don't really want to talk about because it would be a boring okay. discussion. Um, what, what was it, though? It's called the Automat. The, or the Automat. Um, I don't know why I gave it such a French pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> it's about, you know what the Automat is? Like the um, you put a coin in like a little slot and like it opens up a little uh, door and you pull out food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an old timey thing that existed in like the Depression era. It was a movie all about the Automats. When, uh, did I say it? Did I say, is it? Maybe it's pronounced Automat. Maybe that's why I'm saying it. But I feel like it'd be Automat. Anyway, um, it's a movie. It's a, It was a history of all that. It was a, a documentary. And I was just really annoyed by how reverent it was about big business. <laughs> like, it, as somebody who despises capitalism, like, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Like, it's only kind of about this strange piece of American history. But then it ends up, like, asking you to feel sorry for, like, these idiots who had a bad idea that didn't sustain. And how it became the blueprint for soulless corporations like Starbucks and McDonald's. I was supposed to sit there and be like, oh, darn. Um, but still, there was some interesting stuff in it. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I would say that uh, the lowest ranked movie I'm going to talk about, though, is You People. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one. Did we talk about it the week before? Like the previous <laughs> ranking episode? We were supposed to, but then we ended up talking about Tar the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we can both okay. talk about You People if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess to me, you know, I got to say, the first 45 yes. minutes yes. were very fun like it, it was a, it was an awesome mix of like entertaining and um like reflective like it it, it was tr truly meditative about like uh the state of america and how divisive politics have gotten and the separate the sort of natural separation that exists between races as we're trying to like coexist in america it was cool how it handled both of those energies really well and kind of allowed them to blend and they created its own aesthetic where people are interacting and like the jokes are funny and born from like this this racial divide like all of it worked so well um like even the gags they were doing like eddie murphy's koofy getting caught on fire like all of it reminded me of old-timey like slapstick comedies like the formula was just like so good and then on a on a dime all of a sudden the movie like turns into melodrama and like forgets how to be funny and just turns into a series of like monologues and soapboxing and just like really uninteresting tropish uh dynamics between characters like everything about it just like stopped being interesting to me yeah i it was really kind of infuriating because i found Jonah Hill and Laura London, like, very charming totally. together. And, like, the scenes that they had, I liked. And then once it started forcing the tension between characters and, like, escalating things, like, there were so many scenes that started to feel forced and, like, silly and cheesy to me that I couldn't... My interest just fell off a cliff yeah, And by the time we got to like the nadir of the movie and all the stuff falling apart, I was 
so angry, <laughs> especially at the fact that the couple kind of like quit on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like they they chose the ignorance of their family ahead of like one another, which was kind of disappointing to me. Um, which I get like, you know, some people prioritize family, some people prioritize like the relationship, but I guess given how much they meant to each other in that first part, and I get the idea of wanting to show that like, you know, people can be in love, but family can be an issue. That's something that people really do face. It just, it did it. I didn't buy into it as necessarily earned either way. Yeah. Um, Especially with how like frustrated both of them were, were with each of their families. Totally. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I didn't feel honest about their characters and where the, the places they had gotten to. Yeah, they started to feel like chess pieces. Yes. Or in this case, checkers pieces. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, why I like checkers pieces? Just because they was such a dumb, <laughs> like dumbed down. Oh, okay, I would say chess pieces because it's black and white. <sighs> but to each their own (laughs) yeah it's uh that's the dad joke (laughs) yeah that's my just unfathomable attempt at humor (laughs) um so eh, i especially the very end pissed me off it's pretty bad just the fact that it's i get the surprise reunion like the parents working it out and being like (laughs) all right like you crazy kids like, can you get back together now? That's fine. But then taking it to the wedding <laughs> is such, like, surprise. We brought everybody here. And it's like. And you're ready to get married, right? Like, you've worked everything out. Like, let's just step right into marriage. Yeah, you've had, what was it, three months? You haven't seen each other talking. in three months, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not talking, not associating, but you're ready just to, like, pick things up because we apologized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where, and this is going to extend to the next movie that I talk about, I have found my tolerance for movie logic to be slipping. (laughs) Um, Wait, for movies that have illogical plots? To where it's just like, well, it's just a movie. Like, you know, people don't care. That kind of thing. Uh To where the the thing happening is more important than how it happened, uh, which might get into some of the uh, post-cinema discussion. Okay. So you're uh, saying like, you, you your talents for movies that disregard the logic of a plot is waning? A little bit. Or okay. the, I was going to say, I thought like, it was already at an all-time low. Like, I thought you had no patience for it to begin with. Yeah, maybe it's not, like, disregard logic, but that, like, take shortcuts for the sake of efficiency, like we talked about with the Lost City, where they get saved and then it cuts to everybody being on a Hawaiian island. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're told that she got home, wrote a new book, released the book, went on a press tour, and now they're at the end of the press tour. And finally, like, uh, oh my God, Sandra Bullock and Channing mm-hmm. Tatum are like, concluding the conversation they started about liking each other even though they've been on a book tour this whole time together so it's like it's nonsense but because the movie just wanted to skip to everybody being on the island and having this beautiful ending 
like that kind of thing, I shouldn't think too hard about it because, hmm. you know, it's not that deep of a movie. But on the other hand, like, come on. <laughs> and it's the same thing with this, like, wedding at the end of You People. It's like, I shouldn't think too hard about it. Like, okay, they get married. Like, it's a nice moment. And it's just, like, the energy of, like, we know they're going to be together. But the logic of it, like, the, the oh, don't think too hard about it is infuriating to me. All right. We're probably going to launch into dark territory. I feel like a repeat of Tar coming on. Like we may not come out of this, but I, <laughs> I, I have been interested to have this conversation with you. And, and to preface all this, I agree with you about you people like that whole wedding ending doesn't feel very earned. But I think maybe we're taking a little bit different approaches to it on how why it's not earned. OK, so for you, the logic of it makes sense. So when you say that, do you mean that when we bring in the logic of like the real world when you think about this movie in terms of like how the real world operates them stepping into this wedding makes no sense or do you mean within the logic of this movie with like where these characters are at it doesn't make sense both okay so that's what i want to get at you so when you watch movies you bring the real world in the movies you expect movies to follow like the patterns and motions of like how you and I live. It depends on what the movie's done up to that point. If it's been, it's so it's like a case by case basis. Like if I'm watching tar, for example, to go back to that, I would be amazed if suddenly there's like fast travel or, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess there are right. supernatural elements. I don't. In that I don't movie, necessarily mean supernatural stuff. Yeah, but like the logic of Tar, I would be a little more strict on than say the logic of Top Gun Maverick, or <laughs> uh, where I know that it's like heightened, it's over the top. Like same thing with like comparing a movie like Heat to a movie like John Wick. I don't I wouldn't bring the same like degree of logic to John Wick that I would to Heat because I feel like they're establishing a little more of the heightened ideas. So it's like you people there is a heightenedness to it, but they've been dealing with such like normal reactions or semi-normal reactions to like life and one another and just broke up over very like logical like we thought through this and it makes sense that like we shouldn't be together because our parents can't get together to then just go into the wedding feels mm -hmm. kind of like stupid to me based on like the tone of what had already like happened and been established so it's it's not like i'm just judging everything based on like real world logic mm -hmm. but it's kind of a subjective sensitivity based on what like I think the movie has been doing up to that point. Interesting. I I have to say I really take a very different approach. I I've been reading this book. Um, it's called The Story of Art. Do you know this book? Um, no. Who wrote that? E. H. Goodrich. That's that guy's name. <laughs> uh, Gombrich. Yeah, E. H. Gombrich. I knew it was some wacky name like that. Um. 
and it sounds like it could be dry, but it's actually kind of a fascinating read. It's literally going through the history of art and kind of going through just how art developed and how different aesthetics were established. And the one commonality I've I've noticed with the history of art is like it, the the tone and the the formula used for different civilizations art varies but they're all trying to do the same thing like so even if if somebody's drawing something that doesn't properly depict uh the human figure uh versus somebody who is trying to capture like fully capture the the dimensions of the human figure like they're both expressing something similar they're both trying to uh, express some form of humanity like something they experience in their everyday I I completely bring that attitude to movies where I a movie like Heat or John Wick to me they're both movies they're both art um, I don't I, I agree with you I don't expect a spaceship to fly down in the middle of heat and I don't and I wouldn't <laughs> expect to be okay with that um, but I, in my mind like both of those movies have an aesthetic like both of those movies have um, an emotional drive something they're trying to express about life and whatever path they need to take to get there is fine with me. The only time I see illogic in quotes is if they stray outside that aesthetic. Anytime where something feels incongruous or feels deceptive or just flat out like takes it on a different course that doesn't contribute to like the, the foundation of the movie, you know, the ideological foundation of the movie and what it's trying to say. Um, so, it, it, and so this is why I was asking about it because like, I, I feel like a lot of times when we complain about like the logic in a movie, it's because we're applying real world logic to a movie, but a movie isn't the real world. It's a piece of art. It's a reflection of something. So like in you people to me, that's why the wedding doesn't fit because in my mind, you people completely miss this opportunity to be to use this kind of old timey formula to be a bit slapsticky, to have a lot more scenes like the Koofy catching on fire, like all of these misunderstanding and like farcical situations where characters are forced to confront, you know, the, the, the horrors of life, the discrimination in the world, the separation they feel all of that. If they just cut out like all the extra shit that's boring, like the monologuing and the soapboxing, like if they just focused on like, the energy of those kinds of interactions like to me the movie would have had more life and would have a would have had a way more focused aesthetic and if that had happened the whole movie if it had been more efficient more focused and cut out all the fluff like the wedding at the end might have actually fit like i might have actually felt congruous to everything that had happened and didn't need to like feel real in quotes like the real world but would have been real to this world would have made sense does that all make sense that makes sense, but I don't think we're too far off in what we're saying. Maybe not. It's just like the way in which we're saying it, because what you're essentially describing is if the movie had different logic, then it would like, because all the, what I'm saying is like all the scenes adding up create kind of like the, the sensitivity range to which something like fits or feels like believable within the established world. Mm -hmm. And if something doesn't feel like it fits into what's been established, that to me is when I say like the logic is off. 
and or it can be like literal to where like they say that in Batman or the Dark Knight Rises that the bridges are patrolled by Bane's men and the National Guards there. So when does Batman have the time to paint like a giant flaming bat symbol from the top of this bridge? And like that's where we tools like that's where it bothers me because so much of the movie had has like logistical exactitude in ways or like is grounded in some of what's happening in terms of a like the heightenedness to where that bothers me but in you people it's something to where it's like the wedding kind of just like feels shoved in there based on everything that we had seen and Mm. what you're saying is if they had removed a bunch of scenes changed like the flow of the movie essentially there's a way that it fits and that's kind of what i'm saying as well okay so we're on the same page about you people it seems but i will say your comment about uh which batman movie was that the dark knight rises i only remember that stupid movie but still um like maybe that's where i kind of differ is like when you you're describing something like that which to me is just like a boring plot device like it doesn't matter to me like maybe I'm only concerned about the logic when it comes to just like the pure aesthetic and emotion of a movie. And I really don't care when it comes to like little stuff like that. And that's why the wedding bothers me and you people. Cause like, it's a climactic moment. Like there should be like such incredible energy and heart to this moment. And it just feels really tacked on and, and stupid. They CGI the wedding kiss too. I saw you tweet that. I, I didn't even know what that meant. Like how did they, in what way did they CGI it? they don't like the actors didn't actually kiss they like got close and then they cgi in like the actual like lips touching for what reason they'd kissed earlier in the movie i have no idea (laughs) you see just like uh laura london's face just like morph (laughs) when they go to make contact it's very strange what uh my one that i ranked the least uh oh wait do you want to know where i ranked you people oh yeah where did you rank you people 290 for the all-time rankings and probably dead last for 2023 right it's got to be at the bottom Uh, oh no no pale blue eyes at the bottom so it's number four for me in 2023 i've only seen five movies okay i put it above or it's bottom for me i put it below pale blue eye Mm. Yeah, I just can't. As much as I don't like you people, it wins for me because it's entertaining, at least for some of it. None of the Pale Blue Eye was entertaining to me, so it loses. <laughs> it's funny, like Pale Blue Eye to me, it was more of the the visuals and like costume and like whole like the setting sure. and the sense of place that won for me. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay, so I have. Jurassic World Dominion, <laughs> especially when we're talking about like movie logic. Your bottom, yeah, that was the one that was uh, the lowest one for Ooh, me. Boy, Chris, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> I like how that shocked you. <laughs> like, I, wait, you're saying I'm that was genuinely the- shocked? Yeah, yeah. That, I there's it was nothing not to love about that movie. Uh, out of 87 movies, it's 81. Oof, that's hereditary yeah. territory. I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just all the callbacks felt so like for and maybe it's the thing where like to you it's fun it like, is yeah i could see a, a lot of the things that like frustrated me being things that delighted you 
but like i want jurassic park right that's the thing Mm -hmm. in terms of like quality tone that i'm looking for and the jurassic world trilogy has been so far from that yeah that it upsets me and i get that there's something to just appreciating the movies for what they are but i think what these movies are is like some of the things that i hate most (laughs) Mm -hmm. um especially when it comes to like the blockbuster um like my idea of a a great like big blockbuster movie is casino royale which is not your style of big blockbuster movie uh i mean i don't like casino royale but i guess it's not my favorite no like you far prefer more of the energy of like the fast and furious movies oh hell yeah now we're talking where i feel like the jurassic world trilogy is a lot closer to fast and furious than it is to jurassic park yeah um so it just it left me like really annoyed like all the callbacks like over and over and over again feel so forced to me and maybe that's something too to where like if this was a purely meta movie and there are times where it felt like it wanted to be especially all the scenes with um oh my god what's his name chris pratt no no uh oh sam neil jeff jeff goldblum like jeff goldblum almost every line of dialogue he has feels like it's breaking the fourth not breaking the fourth wall but like meta Mm -hmm. and can be applied to the movie Mm -hmm. uh which i really liked and in that way like when i'm starting to think about it through that like all of the forced callbacks all of like the people standing and doing like the handout raptor mm-hmm. motion. There's something that starts to be self-aware and fascinating, but then there are long stretches of the movie that lack that energy for me entirely. Where it just yeah. it's just dumb. Like not even dumb in terms of like logic. It's just mm. I think the. Like the choices that they making they were making were like uninteresting. Like just sure. the fact that there's the one scene where uh, Bryce Dallas Howard par- parachutes out and lands in the jungle, and the dinosaur with the long fingers, which is a dinosaur. I don't even I know most dinosaurs, but I don't know that dinosaur. <laughs> I, starts like I know most dinosaurs. It's the name of your memoir, right? <laughs> I now it is absolutely now it is. But she just starts crawling along the ground and it's following her and then goes into water and kind of floats down beneath the surface and it screams and leaves. It's just so... (laughs) You're making me want to watch this movie again. Dumb. And it's not dumb in the sense of... Right. Bad. It's dumb in the sense of why would... like Of the infinite choices that you had to do something that's interesting, dynamic, exciting. Why was this what you landed on? And I think that's just what I keep coming back to in the movie. Like, is this really the best thing you could think of? Is this really the best thing you could think of over and over and over and over again? And the final fight between the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the Gigantosaurus. Yeah. So good. Right. I hate it. (laughs) I hated it. What like it's 
the most unearned thing I've ever seen in a movie. Like, completely unearned. You have one scene earlier where the uh, Gigantosaurus... I say I know most dinosaurs, but I can't pronounce this one, and it's bothering me. Uh. <laughs> um, it's one of the newer ones, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's not Gigantosaurus. I Jesus. hope there's a... What is it? A dinosaur called a Gigantosaurus. There should be one called Gigantosaurus, but what is mm, Wikipedia? Come here. <laughs> all right, all right. At the very end, Gigano, Gigano, Gigano. This is the most entertaining part of the podcast so far. I can't. <laughs> it is right. Me trying to pronounce dinosaur names. Giganotosaurus. This could be G- a whole podcast itself. G- G- I can't say it. I can't like wrap my mind around. That's okay. I've never had. To, yeah, I've never had to say it out loud. Uh, G. <laughs> the G. <laughs> the man. big G. Yeah, G man. Uh, facing the Tyrannosaurus. Like they have the one scene earlier where, uh, the Tyrannosaurus is going after something and cow like cowers to Big G because Big G is like the biggest carnivore. And then to suddenly have them fight and be territorial, it was so dumb to me. And it should be something that I love, that I'm invested in. Like, oh, we get to see a dinosaur fight. And instead, it just struck me as completely hollow and cheesy and annoying. It annoyed me. Yeah, it sounds like um, like anybody who's uninitiated, like Chris loves dinosaurs and loves Jurassic Park. You've loved it since you were a kid. Uh, so like I I have that reaction to some movies, like like the new Scream movie and the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Like like I'm all for movies establishing their own aesthetic, but when you really love something, when it when it feels like something's abusing what you love. Like I could see that driving you nuts, and it sounds like that's what happened to you. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And you know, maybe it's something if they're remaking, rebooting, like starting fresh. But the fact that it's supposed to be part of the same world, <laughs> yeah, is just so like stupid to me. Yeah, it is funny that it is part of the same world, but it's doing its own thing again. I'm much more forgiving of that. Like I'm all for a movie that exists in the same universe in quotes, like establishing its own style and aesthetic and everything. But I could see it being infuriating as well. Well, it's like the whole, one of the whole character arcs for Sam Neill on the first one is the fact that he doesn't like kids at the beginning. And then by the end, he's been, he like grows to care about these kids Mm -hmm. and there's such a, a positivity to that ending to then just have it be like oh yeah he went back to archaeology and has been like lonely for the last 30 years and has no kids has no like marriage it's just like what's the what's the point of the character journey of the first movie then like things happen to people chris i know but that should be a story <laughs> in and of itself not just well maybe they'll make a movie that's you know in between jurassic world and jurassic park i mean sam neill's still He's still looking good. Man, those people... It, okay, 
you were annoyed by the movie, but everybody in those movies like did their fucking job. You have like Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum specifically, like all killed it. They they were good. I just kept thinking every scene. I'm like, when they called cut, do they just look at each other and go, well, <laughs> the paycheck? They looked out at their paychecks. Or, <laughs> they looked at their bank account. Yeah, are they like are. Th- like what kind of discussions were happening in between the scenes is what I kept. Just like I don't know, man. Of. I thought the fervor was there. Like I thought they all had great energy. As, I mean, as you pointed out, Jeff Goldblum, like he's eating it up. He's chewing up the scenery. There's like no film left at the end. He's chewing up so much of it. Like, <laughs> uh, I, and everything you were saying about like the meta-ness, like I think that's key to loving the movie. I, I don't know if just because of like the style of the movie and the fact that it's attached to a franchise you loved it, it doesn't seem like you could have loved what it was doing, but personally as somebody, I mean, I, I, I've always loved the Jurassic Park movies. I don't think I have the same kind of attachment to it that you do. Um, but I personally was completely on board with it. I loved how meta it was and I thought it became part of what the movie was saying about movies and like the franchise itself and like our relationship with it and our ability to be entertained by it. Like there's just something really like it was so ridiculous. Like the more ridiculous I got, like the more I felt the message became profound. So <laughs> if anybody's out there, like who's like me and can watch movies that way, like I say, seek it out and watch it. I very much so. If anybody is nodding their head to things that you say in the show, they would probably love Jurassic World Dominion. Fuck yeah. It was I, it, the other thing about this movie is I'm somebody who's always loved I've always liked movies and I remember my freshman year of college like I started watching a lot more movies and got into them, but I think my true love for movies and the what painted how I love movies now is when I started watching movies with people a lot more. And to me, this is a perfect movie for watching with a group of people. Like, it is so insane and ridiculous that, like, it kind of becomes part of the fun of it. And the more you're invested in, like, what it's doing to me, the more the movie um, exposes what it's trying to do, you know, philosophically and shit. Like, it, it to me, it all starts to come together and gel. The moment that it almost came together for me was when they had Bryce Dallas Howard in the foot race with the Velociraptor assassin. Great scene. And she's like running over the rooftops of Malta, (laughs) chased by this assassin Velociraptor, a highly trained assassin Velociraptor, and outpacing it. And I was like, all right, they know exactly what they're doing. Well, yes. This, This is so absurd that I could start to get on board and then too many other scenes lost me. Now, what if they had inserted a flashback of Bryce Dallas Howard training on the track and getting faster and faster? If they had opened the movie with that. Wow. How stupid would that have been? (laughs) If they opened the movie with Bryce Dallas Howard doing sprint training on a track, I would be completely sold on this movie. I, I can't I'm I'm not gonna lie I probably would enjoy it <laughs> like, that's the kind of stuff I want yeah so you wanted the movie to go even dumber really <laughs> yes you're complaining about it being dumb but you wanted even more dumb yes all right yes I did okay so do we want to talk about the rest of these movies that we watched 
Yeah, what uh, what else was on your list? All right, so we talked about Knock at the Cabin at 31, 31. Magic Mike's Last Dance, 72. The next one would be, ah, another Channing Tatum flick, Step Up. Uh, came in at 131 for me. And then we have Step Up 3D. That's right. I watched more than one Step Up movie this week. <laughs> um, that came in at number 160. I'm a big fan of that movie. It was good. Yeah. Uh, Casino, Martin Scorsese. I had never seen that movie. Comes in at 169. Very much enjoyed that one. I've also always meant to watch it, but never have. I'd be curious to hear your reaction to it because it's maybe the only movie I've ever seen that has constant narration. Like, I think it might drive you wild. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, maybe. Because Goodfellas has a lot of narration, but it feels... It's definitely... There's definitely less of it in Goodfellas and it also feels more part of the story and, like, what the movie's trying to do. Whereas in Casino, like, while I really loved the movie and, like, I found it very enlightening, it's also, like... The constant narration was a little aggravating sometimes to me. So for you, I feel like it would be unfathomable. Yeah. No, this will. Okay. It's literally that the whole movie. <laughs> okay. no, I really, I'm really It's curious. really bizarre. <laughs> like bizarre to the point where you're like, wow, like this is such a bold choice. I keep kind of respect it, but maybe you won't respect it. Okay. Uh, down at number 243, so we're jumping way down here. Step up to the streets. That one doesn't quite work for me, um, but it's got some good parts. And then, oh, this is one that will interest you, Chris, because uh, early on in our movie-going relationship, do you remember this? Like, we had a period where we were making each other watch a movie, like we traded off. Yeah, yeah. And maybe the first one you had me watch was Soul of Its Travels. <laughs> I do remember that. And I didn't really care for it then. And I watched it again because I was all prepared to love it because now I'm a bona fide Preston Sturges fan. But I still just couldn't quite get on board with it. Uh, so I have it at 246. Okay. It's been like, I mean, that was one of the ones that I watched in college for a class. Yeah. It's and a total class kind of movie. Yeah. Maybe it's the kind of thing where like now I would also be like, okay, that was good then, but... I've seen a lot more. Yeah, I think it's one of those movies that like you understand, like the second you watch it and like you you see the ending and you see what it's going for, you get why it's revered. Like it's a movie about like the art of comedy and the love of movies. You know, it's this like thing that AFI would throw on their list and point point towards being like this is what movies are all about. Uh, but I find it kind of flawed and flimsy. Like it it doesn't quite earn what it purports to earn. So anyway, uh, then at 257, I have Black Panther. Um, Black Panther or Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Not Wakanda Forever. Still got to watch that one. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I got it on. I I had the same reaction to this movie I did the first time. This is the first time I've seen it since theaters. Uh, I bought it on 4K and I was, you know, I was eager to rewatch it because I was like, I'll probably like it this time. And I still just had problems with it like i love everybody in the movie like i think everybody in the movie is doing great work i just think like the action scenes the cgi like so much of it is just done so poorly that it's really hard for me to get past oh wait until you watch wakanda forever 
Okay. I mean, I, I plan to watch it. Of all the Marvel movies, those these are like the only ones I actually want to watch, but now I don't know. I mean, they're, the performances, again, kind of carry the, the day at Wakanda forever. Um, specifically to uh, Angela Bassett. Oof, she's the best. She just like, she crushes, like there's a point in the movie when you're watching it where you're just like, what is she on and why is nobody else on it like that's it's just like man she's so good in it it's like nice that she got an oscar nomination oh yeah it's awesome um but like the action sequences are such a step back that it's back from what i just watched oh boy yeah (laughs) uh anyway and then you people at 290 and the auto mat automat at 294 the automat okay what do you got for me okay uh i had number 19 was midsummer like we talked about then number 45 was no time to die oh okay which uh, like 45 is at let me get right in the middle like that is right in the middle it's uh near the lower end of the positives category like the positives is the longest like category that i have right now mm-hmm. it's kind of, it carries 29 through 51 and it's coming in like in the lower third of that okay which like just made me sad that casino royale was the best of them <laughs> i uh if you had to rank the daniel craig movies how would you do it Casino Royale, Spectre, or sorry, no, 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 no. Skyfall. Casino Royale, Skyfall. Uh, then, fuck, it's just like a brawl for the bottom. Yeah. Uh, Quantum of Solace is definitely like the worst. Oh, wow. And then, though. Most people I think mean, that. I, I don't know why I said, oh, wow, like everybody thinks that. <laughs> I haven't seen it since theaters, so maybe it's the it's the one that i've watched least maybe i would find some charm in it now that the the series is over but it was the one that like bothered me the most on first watch yeah. and then i thought specter was like pretty like awful mm-hmm. um and no time to die was kind of like i just the the way you feel about channing tatum is how i kind of feel about daniel craig uh-huh I just find him incredibly like interesting, charming. Like I'm into everything he's in except for Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> Which, by the God. way, I've always wanted to watch. I just hate Damon Lindelof movies so much. Well, didn't he? He just produced it though, right? He wrote it. Because Cowboys and Aliens was directed by John Favreau. Yeah. That's why I want to watch it. It's a, a script by... Okay, yeah. What's his name? So you hate his writing. I get it, yeah. Yeah. It's just all, like, mystery at the beginning with horrible payoff. It's always a horrible payoff. It's the just only lost time it's, in a movie. Yeah, the only time it's not horrible payoff is The Leftovers, and that's because he was working with a novelist who could be like, hey, let's do this instead. <laughs> Everything else, he's just on his own, and it's insanely frustrating. <laughs> stupid Lindelof movies but so Daniel Craig in No Time to Die like I like him a lot it makes up for some of the like 
huge issues I have with that movie, especially the more that I think about it. Mm-hmm. But I was it pained by what's his face, the guy from uh, Oh Remy Malek. Uh, uh, previous movie Spectre. Oh, um, oh, uh, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, Christoph Waltz. His performance was puzzling to me. <laughs> Where I really like him, so I thought. I was excited when he was Blofeld, and then I thought he like actively missed the mark. So the fact that he's not all throughout this movie was better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, eh. Interesting. I, I, as you're as you're talking about your rankings, I'm realizing that like I like all the movies actually. I I really like Quantum of Solace, and I'd be interested to hear what you think when you rewatch it, because uh, like the whole movie is just Daniel Craig dealing with like losing the woman he lost in Casino Royale like I was kind of struck by how committed the movie is to that story um, yep. and in that way isn't really a Bond movie at all in the way that like Bond movies like really extend and blow up to all these crazy avenues um, the only one I really don't like is No Time to Die <laughs> oh interesting okay why did it you why did you uh, like it I, I can find stuff to like in all the movies, I actually really like Spectre. I, I didn't like it the first time, but something about just like the flow and energy of that movie, I was with it the second time, so I liked it. Um, but No Time to Die, I think, I mean, it's the second time I've said this on the podcast now, and I'm realizing that it's something I can't stand in movies. It's like the reverence a movie can have for something. Like the movie's such a hand job to like, Daniel Craig as Bond, you know, like it's a send off for him and how great his character was and we're gonna miss him. And like, oh, look how heroic he is, like killing himself here at the end. Like just the whole movie had that aura. Like I felt it from the very beginning in a way that I was just like, ugh. like I, I guess like I like James Bond, but like, I don't like it that much. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to sit there and like, like wrap arms around with everybody and like Sweeney unison as we honor the great James Bond like I just I don't know I couldn't get on board with any of that no that bothered me like I didn't think of it as necessarily honoring Daniel Craig so much as like we're finally having Daniel Craig be James Bond yeah, right that's that's what annoyed me like with all the again like forced stuff that I thought was part of Jurassic World Dominion <laughs> except I guess Jurassic World Dominion you get a little more of the like haha and no time to die it's just like really like you got to force in the martini you got to force in the name thing you got to force in like the car all this stuff that people complained was missing from casino royale we finally have it and it's like i didn't want it like i didn't want those things i wanted like this new take on bond not for it to evolve to the old take on Bond. Oh, you know what else I hated about that fucking movie is it's it's doing what every apparently every franchise and every studio thinks it needs to do now is like build a universe, and it's trying to like set up this team like at the oh, end, yeah. you know, like they're gonna carry us into the next movie for the next Bond, and I'm just like, I don't stop doing that. <laughs> stop making yeah. me tr- stop trying to invest me in something I don't care about, please it's funny because I feel like for a long time Mission Impossible was trying to emulate Bond and that felt like something where they were trying to emulate the route that Mission Impossible yeah, went. That's a good point, yeah. Um, 
but and him I, I thought it was cruel that they killed him um <laughs> i get the idea of like bond's a tragic figure and he's done all these things he doesn't need to have like a happy ending maybe doesn't deserve a happy ending but i think that should be developed more like i don't think they mm. really earned killing him off and i don't think most people wanted to see him killed off i i just think it's flat out stupid like like everything i just said with them trying to build a universe like the only reason he's killed off is just so that he can be gone and they have to find a new bond like that's not what the james bond movies are like there's always just a new bond like there's kind of a beauty to the emotional detachment in that way that like when you're james bond you're, you're expected to perish <laughs> you're expected to not be able to last in this job where you're effectively giving up your life to save the world and fight terrorism like to turn it into this like sentimental thing where bond dies heroically and like now we have to get a new bond like that is just so that is just so uninteresting to me yeah no yeah uh funny side note the same guys that wrote casino royale wrote all the others oh yeah Hmm. It's just they sometimes weren't the like first writer. Um, like there was a first, a different first writer right. for Quantum of Solace, and then they brought back like those guys, and they're different like side writers that help them uh, develop things. But they were involved in everything. They were also involved in like the last two Pierce Brosnan movies that were so horrible. <laughs> They did get worse as they went along. I mean, yeah, maybe the same writers were there the whole time. But in my mind, as I watch those movies, like the studio's fingerprints are all over them. They're just like, they're just pounding people over the head saying like, build a universe, build a universe. Casino Royale, though, will always have Monaco. You know what? I really want to watch that again. I, I think in the beginning, I was kind of a hater on Casino Royale. And maybe you're remembering that aspect of me that like I don't even remember. <laughs> but... uh I think I actually really like that movie. It, maybe it's the best one. I think it just kind of, it's crisper, I think, than all the others. Mm -hmm. Like they, I feel like they had something to prove in a way that at the end they're like, oh, let's just get through this. Skyfall, on the other hand, I've never been able to get on board with. Actually, of all, that would be number four for me. I get torn on Skyfall because... I really liked the first half. I didn't like the back half. The, the Home Alone half? Yeah, the Home Alone half. The, the Home Alone half was fucking weird. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, No Time to Die was at 45, uh, but it could drop. I think there was just something about, like, the highs and some of the, like, sure. the scope that I liked. But I'd knock at the cab. I'd say that because I've knocked the cabin at 47. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay um which still like in the positives category it's just it was a little smaller and for it to be like as small as it is yeah. i need to like punch a little more for me sure uh and then at 66 i had sonic the hedgehog 2 okay i i've never seen the first one but i've always been interested it's the first one's like not bad it's like inoffensive mm -hmm. like there's moments where you're like okay i think they have something but also it's still like a kid's movie uh sonic 2 was kind of like mixed there are things that i like liked and i think they improved on 
but then they also like force things like bringing James Marsden into like every fraughtful situation somehow. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like, you don't have to just like force him into like every scene that Sonic's in. Yeah. If I watch it though, I'm there for Jim Carrey and like, that's about it. Yeah. Jim Carrey. I think they utilized him better in the second one. Okay. Um, so that was at 66, 68, which is a category down in negatives. I have La La Land. Okay, that was the movie I watched three quarters of. Okay, okay, okay. I just, I, I find Emily Stone, <laughs> Emily, Emily Stone, Emma, <laughs> Emma Stone, and um, oh my Goslin. god, I keep. For- Ryan Gosling. I keep forgetting his name. For like the last three months, I forget his name. Every you know, all these white Hollywood actors, they start to blend together at some point. Yeah. Ryan Gosling, I find them both incredibly like charming and watchable. Totally. I find the story completely like <laughs> inane? cheesy. Yeah. Inane, like <laughs> repetitive. The only thing that I feel like Damien Chazelle's like bringing to the table with it is like the musical aspect and even then i didn't find the music all that interesting or charming no way like the the piano like the main piano refrain is really like catchy but ah ah yeah i was just uh, like kind of i i had the same feeling because i saw it in theaters and i remember my my only recollection of this movie from the theaters was i hated the beginning of the movie like i hated the car scene and then I hated the scene where they were uh, in Emma Stone's apartment and all the girls were dancing. And then after that, like the movie like came alive a little bit. And that is exactly what happened to me this time. Did not like the opening scenes. But the second Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone come together, like they have such good energy and they're so watchable that they're able to carry the movie. Um, but beyond that, like I just like... Like, I feel like inane is the perfect word. Like, the story feels so, like, blah. Like, we're just, it's, all it is is two people, like, trying to make it in Hollywood. Like, and it's not like their situations are any more fantastic than, like, anything you've ever seen in a movie about this exact situation. Like, it felt so ordinary, yet it was, like, purporting itself to these, like, high levels like with like the places yeah. music would go and like outrageous pe- things people would do as they dance like none of it just felt none of it felt congruous to me like i didn't know like what aesthetic was being established i didn't i i wasn't uh you know under the charm of any of its whim or anything like i just was constantly just kind of like is this what the movie's doing like is it trying to be this like i don't know i just i'm not um it's Go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just not taken by it like everyone else is, it seems. Yeah, I, I it spends such a long amount of time in the struggle period. Yeah. That the payoff to the eventual success was completely lacking for me. Like Emma Stone goes off and we don't see any of it. We don't see her perform in her first role. We don't see them be completely like amazed by her performance is she just immediately naturally amazing in this role is it not difficult for her is it just if she was that good of an actor 
why wasn't she getting any of the roles before? Like, what was different about this? And mm-hmm. what's that rise in popularity like for her? When she comes back, does she not try to connect with Ryan Gosling? Does he not answer her call? Like, there's so many interesting things that I think happen once Emma Stone's career takes off that the movie just completely skips over. And that was really, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily need like all that at the end, but you're right in the sense of, like the movie, again, it purports something that isn't actually happening. Like it's asking us to just be like amazed by all this when like it's not giving us enough of I guess just like real human shit happening like it's just so theatrical in a way that like it feels like nothing but theatric sometimes and there's no real humanity happening one of the things I pointed out when I did my write-up of the movie was that in the first 17 minutes of the movie I think it was it's the the opening car scene emma stone like at her job back at the apartments you don't run into ryan gosling i think until that like 17 18 minute mark kind Mm -hmm. of thing when she goes in so there's a lot that kind of happens in that period the end of the movie is also something like 17 minutes but it's just her picking up coffee being at home and then the 10 minute sequence of what their life could have been right which like what's that really there's a tragedy to that but it's just kind of a reverse flashback (laughs) you're just shoving in something that never happened i guess for the emotional and i mean clearly people respond to it it's it's emotional but to me again it was just like well we saw him have a happy point why do we have to see them have like even happier times yeah eh. uh, so as you can tell i'm really excited to finish this movie yeah i'm sorry but th- i will say having watched la la land it i do think he fixed a lot of the issues in babylon oh okay um but i don't think babylon's like some great movie either but it has been like growing on me uh, I've been th- like I think about it a lot. All three hours of it are growing on you. <laughs> yeah, oh, still still flawed, but I think it's doing what La La Land wanted to do in like a much stronger way. Man, to think of where that guy's gone since Whiplash. I know it's infuriating. It's weird. Like I don't even I... necessarily love Whiplash, but like it's really good. Like I appreciate it. That La La Land is like a gigantic step down. Yeah, I. Yeah. And then I'd even bother seeing First Man because I don't know, like I don't I would never watch that movie. It looks so I find boring. Kind of, I really like spa- like sci-fi space movies. I don't necessarily like historical NASA movies. <laughs> there are a lot of them. There's so many of them. And like I don't get the infatuation with it. I mean, okay, I do get the infatuation with the fact, like, we went to the moon. This is a scientific achievement, like, amazing. That should be heralded. It's just, I find the style that comes with it a little mechanical. And 
you know, maybe if I watch First Man, it would change my mind, but <laughs> I feel like I've everything that I see that's NASA related is typically the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Is that it? Uh yeah. It was La La Land and then Jurassic World Dominion. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow. Like La La Land more than Jurassic World Dominion. Who are you, Chris? <laughs> and the depth of my anger at <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. Honestly, you getting that angry at the movie makes me like it a little bit more. <laughs> That's, I'm happy to course. hear it. Of, of course. That's my gift to you. But anybody getting mad at that movie, would, it's not just you. But the fact that we're so close, like it somehow increases the enjoyment. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. This is our longest episode yet. Yeah. It feels good. It does. Well, you know, I had to get that out of out of the system. Yeah, it feels good not to have a timer, you know? <laughs> Who would do that? Nobody. Nobody I know. Who puts artificial limits on things? Uh, the end of this much, though, I don't even... I have no idea how to say how to end this. Uh, what's the next week's episode? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we should do some plugs. Well, next week's episode, we are talking about everybody's favorite movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. We're going to lose whatever audience we've built up. And when I say everybody's favorite movie, I mean everybody but two guys. <laughs> as differing as our views are, our view on this is pretty, like, united. Yeah, although I will say I have, I have to watch it again. So I could come away liking it a lot more. We'll see. <laughs> I I don't think I it'll can happen. Just <laughs> I can just imagine when we, like start the podcast next week to be like all right travis and you're like chris <laughs> it's number one for me now it happens <laughs> yeah i'm just like no you no. you will know that i've been infiltrated if that happens someone has gotten <laughs> control of my brain hey, travis blink blink <laughs> twice i know this is audio but blink my new body never has to blink again chris <laughs> terrible all right yeah we have that going on yep um you can support us on our patreon page patreon.com slash film colossus um well you can listen to the show ad free if you're annoyed by ads like you got that it's a beautiful thing ad free the way to go <laughs> and of course, i don't listen to this show with ads no 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 no. neither do i and film com, where you can uh read we talk about all the movies we mentioned that are on our weekly ranking or on our all-time rankings and 2023 rankings and everything like we do write-ups about all those movies and we have movie guides where we explain movies and we're doing all kinds of fun shit over there yeah i'm currently doing a movie guide on midsummer mm -hmm. and i'm writing about knock at the cabin look at us <sighs> we're on a journey all right all right let's end this keep keep it cool <laughs> yeah keep it cool <laughs>